James chapter 1 is where we are. We'll finish off from last month, James chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 9 is is how we'll begin. James 1 and verse 9. The Bible says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of uh, and and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt tempt he any man. But every man is tempted, verse 14, when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So as we, we kind of left off from last week, James is helping us uh, to understand trials that come into our life. And he's helping us to understand God's work through those trials that we face, uh, you know, daily, monthly, throughout our life. You know, there are many times in our life when we don't understand the trial that we're going through. And so James teaches us a very important lesson that when those times come that we don't understand what God is doing, then we should pray. And we should ask God to give us wisdom. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants us to understand. And so by asking God for wisdom, we can fight against the very temptation that the devil would use to get us discouraged or try to turn us around uh, because the devil wants us to believe that God doesn't care about us, right? I, I think in 1 Peter 5.8, the Bible says to be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he seeketh, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because the verse before that in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says that God cares about us, that we can cast our care upon him because God cares about you. And the next verse, you know, kind of teaches us that the devil is there and he wants to destroy us. And I think one of the methods the devil uses is when we go through trials, when we go through hard times, for us to believe that God doesn't care about us. And so when those trials come into our life, James reminds us 
that we can ask God. We can talk to God, and God will help us. And this work that God is doing in our life, uh, Christians, God is doing a work in our life, and that work is to make us a mature believer. So God's at work, and God's doing the work, and so God teaches us that trials create endurance, and that endurance brings us to a deeper relationship with Jesus. We also learned last week that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his, his ways. And these Christians are not stable during temptations or during these trials. One minute they would trust in God, another minute they would doubt God. So now we come into a new section here, and verse number nine is where we begin. And again, I don't have an outline for you. I'm sorry about that, but you can, you can write this down if you have a pen and some paper. I know you have paper, and I know you have a pen because you got it for the game, but you can write down these points. Number one, real simple, the rich and the poor. The rich and the poor. Now, verse number nine, we notice here that James addresses both these groups of people, the rich and the poor, and obviously these uh, groups of people were present uh, within the church. The poor are reminded that they are rich in the Lord. Look what the Bible says in verse 9. It says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that uh, uh, he is exalted. Now, what does that mean, he, ex he is exalted? He is exalted in Christ. He is exalted in his position in Christ. It is in Christ that we find our identity, we find our worth. And so the rich, uh, excuse me, the poor in this world, we don't find our worth in the material gain of this world. Uh, even the rich, we don't find our, uh, our gain or our identity in the, in the material gain of this world. We find it in Christ. And so the Bible says that the poor, the brother of low degree, rejoice in that he is exalted. And then in verse number 10, he talks about the rich. So the poor is mentioned in verse number 9. The rich is mentioned in verse number 10. He says, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. So the rich learn that they cannot trust in their riches. And the riches of the rich man are not guaranteed. This is what James is instructing us here. Uh, and that riches can be, you know, they, they can deceive us. I, I think that when we look at our society today, no matter how much money you have in the bank account tonight, we are probably uh, classified under the group of the rich uh, in, in, our, in our society today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, look what the Bible says here. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And so Paul instructs Timothy to, to tell the church, to tell believers, not to trust in their uncertain riches but to trust in God, not to be high-minded. And trials, they do humble us. They do humble us. They show us our need for God. The Bible says in verse 11 of our text here, James verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat. By the way, this is the same context as the rich man. 
and not trusting in their riches. Same thought here, verse 11. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. When the sun rises in the heat of the summertime, it kills the grass. It kills the flower. And the flower fades, and the beauty of the, of the flower fades, James writes here. And the principle that, that, you know, the writer James is teaching us, but really the Spirit of God is teaching us here is simple. Trials are not, uh, are, are not the answer. Uh, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they're going to reveal what is deep in our heart. And we're not going to trust in riches to get us through the, the trials of our life. You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you bad news that this is what the test results say. You know, at the end of the day, the most, the, the money that we have doesn't save our lives. If, if money was the answer and had all the answers, then Steve Jobs would still be alive today. The reality is, is that trials reveal our need for God. And here James is saying that, that money is going to fade and health is going to fade and successes are going to fade and positions aren't permanent. They're not forever. Uh, it, it is our relationship with God that is, that is so important. That's the key. And so he writes here in, in this thought, having God in, in uh, the rightful place in our life is, is the important thing. And so he says, first of all, let me address here the rich and the poor. That first of all, trials and the life of a poor person shows them what is, uh, what is most important in their life, and that is God in their life. And to the rich man, they realize that uh, they need to trust in the Lord and not in the material gain that they have. Verse number 12, I want us to write down simply the crown, the crown. In verse 12, the Bible says this, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation... For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So here we're talking, again, contextually, uh, we're talking about trials. And James is staying here with the theme of trials. And, and now he's being specific here to the one who's faithful in their trials. The one who goes through trials, endures those trials, matures in their Christian life through these trials, the one who is faithful, who endures the trials of their life, when everything is said and done, we see that a crown of life is given. Now, I want to give two thoughts, gentlemen, on this, two different opinions that, uh, that people will have uh, when it comes to this passage of Scripture. The first is, uh, probably the most common, is that the crown of life uh, that is promised here in this passage of Scripture uh, is a, a crown that will be received uh, at the Bema Seat judgment of the Lord Jesus. This will be a, a tangible crown that we will receive. Uh, I, again, the word here, endure, is the thought here of patience, and we're not talking about salvation here, but we're talking about, as a Christian, uh, going through temptations, going through these trials, maturing as a, a Christian because we're faithful through these trials, that there would be a tangible crown that would be received one day as believers at the, the beam of judgment uh, as we stand before Christ. And 
Uh, again, I want to note that this is not speaking of salvation, but maturity and faithfulness as we are compelled by our love for God. And I, I think it's also important to note that these crowns that will be received will only be cast at the feet of Jesus uh, because he is the worthy one. He's the one that uh, pours his life into us and we live the Christian life through his strength and power. The other thought that is, is pretty popular when it comes to this passage of scripture uh, is not talking about a tangible crown that would be received uh, but the actual uh, crown of life is the life, and, and we're not talking again about uh, salvation, but spiritual maturity. So the result of trials is a mature Christian life. And you say, well, why is that important? Because I believe that the crown of life, and uh, whether it is a tangible crown or, or part tangible crown or also speaking of this uh, you know, mature Christian life is the abundant life that uh, Jesus talks about in the scripture. It, it is the spiritual life of walking with God with that, that, you know, spiritual maturity that all of us ought to desire to have. And so whether it's talking about a tangible crown or, or whether it's talking about the crown of life being spiritual maturity that is received by a Christian bearing trials, going through trials in their life and growing from those trials and, and growing in their spiritual life and their spiritual maturity and in their trust uh, with God, or if it's speaking of both, the idea of this passage of Scripture is indeed that we are happy, and that's the word there, blessed is the man, or happy is the man that endureth temptations. Happy is the man. More is gained in the Christian life through our endurance and temptation than succumbing to those temptations and those trials in our life. And this is what the Spirit of God is trying to teach us here, the importance of endurance, the importance of, of getting through those, those trials and bearing through those trials with God's grace and mercy and help in our life that we could become uh, spiritual and mature in our Christ, uh, Christian life. Number three, would you write down this? Real simple here, the source of temptation. The source of temptation. Now, as, we, as we've been studying here in James chapter one, we've learned a lot, and, and here the, the writer James uh, is giving us a lot about the good that is received through trials. A lot of good comes from trials. And it produces spiritual results, temptations and trials. And one may think that the source of these temptations is God. And James helps us to understand that misconception that God is not the source of temptation. Look what the Bible says in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Now, it doesn't get any clearer than that. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. Now, I think the idea here that God cannot be tempted with evil is not the fact that God would never succumb to temptation, that God is light 
and in him is no darkness at all. There was never a threat that Jesus was going to give in to the devil. The Bible says it is impossible for God to lie. It's not that God won't lie or does not lie. It is God cannot lie, the Bible says. He cannot succumb to temptation. But also, there's another important truth here not only can he succumb to temptation or evil, he, he will not, he cannot sin, but also he does not tempt you with evil. He does not tempt you to sin. God is never the source of temptation as stated in James chapter 1 and verse number 13. God doesn't tempt people with evil. He doesn't dangle the carrot in front of them you know, that, that's, that's not what the Bible says. So how are we tempted with evil? Well, the Bible describes how temptation happens in verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So what is the source of temptation according to James 1, 14? yourself. Yeah, it's the source is within us. The source is within us. The source is our own lust. The source is our own longings, our own desire. Uh, Without those things, without those longings, without those desires, without those lusts, there would be no temptation at all. And, And so here we find that we are, James speaks here really of of the source of this temptation. It, it is John that pens that the lust of the flesh and the, the, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, uh, it, it is everything that's found in this world and it's all found in our human heart. So look what the Bible says now in our text here in verse, in verse 15. It says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Notice with me verse 15. This is so important. When that lust, which may not even seem like a big deal, but that lust which is the root within our human heart, when that desire gives into temptation, then it produces sin. And sin, when it is finished, and it's interesting, the Greek word they're used for finished, uh, it, it, the thought there is to mature enough to bring forth children. That's what the, the Greek word there means, to mature enough to bring forth children. When it is finished, what is the end result of that temptation? Death. Death. And so everything is found in our own human heart. Someone said this, that lust that we all have in our own heart, that, that desire, that lust, is the grandmother of death. It, it is already present within our heart. Now, notice what the Bible says in verse 16, because James wants to set us straight here. He, he wants to make sure we understand this, that God is not the, the one that tempts us, but the temptation is found with that lust, that longing in our heart. And he says in verse 16, do not err, my beloved children. Do not err about the source of sin and temptation. Don't blame God 
for your sin, for the direction of your life. All right, so James is saying, listen, God is not the source of temptation. So then, James, what is God the source of? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 17, look what the Bible says. It says, but every, uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So God is the giver of good gifts. And I want us to focus there on the word good there. The word good means useful. It means beneficial. Uh, That's the idea of good, useful, beneficial gifts. Perfect means lacking nothing, lacking nothing. And these good gifts, these perfect gifts, these useful, beneficial gifts, these gifts that lack nothing, these gifts come down from God who doesn't embrace the slightest shadow of change is what the Bible says. Now, we may give in to our lusts. We may be inconsistent. We change a lot. But God is always consistent. God doesn't change. He is holy He is pure. He doesn't become disappointed or give up on us. He continues to give to us what we need to be successful. Good and perfect gifts from above. And the Bible says that he is the father of lights or he is the creator of light. And of course, light reveals, it blesses as we see God in our life. What is the greatest gift that has been given? James, God is the giver of good gifts, useful, beneficial gifts, gifts that lack nothing, that are complete and perfect. So then, James, what is the best gift that God gave from above? I think you know. I think you know. Verse 18, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now, the Bible makes it clear here that the will of God is to save us. And he saves us through his son, who became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the good gift and the perfect gift that cometh down from above. And the thought here that he begot us, it has the the idea to bring forth, to bring forth. Now, this is interesting, gentlemen. Let's compare what the Bible says in verse number 15. The Bible says, by the word of truth, we we are begotten, we are brought forth, We become a child of God. We become born again through the salvation that God provides. But in verse 15, it's sin that brings forth death. Isn't that interesting how James here is making this incredible comparison that your sin brings death, but God through the word of truth and through the gospel and and through the salvation that he provides, he brings forth life. He gives us life. 
It's incredible. We become children of God, and salvation is the will of God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And we become indeed the first fruits of the gospel, born again with his nature, uh, striving to spiritual maturity, which is what James is teaching us here in this passage of Scripture. Now, let's, let's go to number five here, and that's the teaching of trials, the teaching of trials. Now, again, we're still, we're still contextually talking about trials here. James has not left the context of trials. Um, he's still building this out for us. Look what he says in verse 19. Wherefore, do you see that in your Bible? And anytime you see wherefore, you should ask why it's therefore, because it has a purpose. And what the purpose is, is because everything we just learned about trials, everything that God's doing in trials, God is not the source of temptation, but he gives good gifts and perfect gifts, and he supplies what we need through Christ to help us to overcome trials. Because of all these things are true, my beloved brethren. I love that. Listen, my, my beloved ones, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So what is the teaching of trials? What is the purpose of trials? Well, I think in this passage of Scripture, when it comes to trials in our lives, and I would assume that all of us have experienced trials in our Christian life, there are three important responses that James mentions here. And the first response is hearing what God has to say through trials. Hearing what God has to say through the trials. This is what he means when he says, let every man be swift or quick to hear. Be quick to hear what God has to say. Now, this is interesting because real hearing involves doing. Real hearing involves doing. And so if we truly hear what God has to say, it's going to cause us to act. It's going to cause us to change our perspective and our attitude. But not only are we to be quick to hear what God has to say, we're to be slow to speak. And I would believe that this is talking about excusing or talking away God in our lives. Talking away God. Oftentimes in, in our Christian life, and I can only speak from my own personal experiences in my 43 years of living on this earth, um, and my 33 years of being a Christian, we often, when trials come, we don't understand. We often kneel to pray to tell God what to do in the circumstances of our life. And we ran, we, we, we never really want God, we rarely want God to do an improving job in our life to make us mature or spiritual. But we really pray for God to do a removing job of the trials in our life. And our first prayer is, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And here James is saying, listen, just, just, 
just listen to what God is saying through the trial. Uh, and, and I do want to pause here for a moment and, and help us to understand that just because someone's going through a trial doesn't mean that someone's not right with God. And I, I don't have time tonight to go through all of the scripture that, that would state that. Uh, we know that God often brings trials into our life to humble us and to help us to learn how to pray. Paul the apostle had a thorn or a physical ailment in his life because uh, he needed to be humble because God had more for him to do. Uh, we know that in the Bible, there's a story of a man with a physical ailment and they asked the disciples who sinned, him or his, or his, his parents. And, and Jesus said, neither that the glory of God would be bestowed upon him. And so the reality is, is that we don't always know why God is bringing your trial in our life. And let me say this, that doesn't mean that it's not God's getting our attention in, in the lifestyle we live. But I think that's why God says, ask wisdom, you know, ask God for wisdom in the trial of our life and God will, will give it to us. So we need to be slow to excuse or to talk away God. And then this, I think, and they all build on each other, but I think this is so important. Uh, slow to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. I think it's important for us not to get angry at what God is doing in our life. If we need wisdom, we ask God, but we cannot get angry or become bitter at the trials that God leads us to or allows to come into our life because the answer, and this is where we'll, we'll end tonight, we'll be done. The answer is found in verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And this is, this is a simple principle and I can paraphrase it real simple for us tonight. You will not get to where God wants you to be by responding in wrath or bitterness to the trials of your life. You just won't get there. And here the Bible is teaching us becoming bitter and not better, becoming angry at God is not going to accomplish God's purposes for your life. And, you know, we can excuse it away all we want, gentlemen, but the reality is we have to submit to God, we have to trust in God, and we have to say, God, what are you teaching me in this trial? We have to say, you know, not, you know, excuse God away or make excuses, and we cannot get bitter or angry in those trials in our life. But trust in the Lord and allow God to work in our lives. We're going to continue looking through this chapter, and we'll continue in verse 21. Um, he continues, and this is just a, an incredible chapter about trials. Really, uh, I mean, I've preached through it many times, but God's teaching me a lot, and I hope that you're learning as well as we deal with these trials because, you know, we, we deal with trials all of the time. You know, man is born unto trouble, Job said, you know, and trials come as the sparks fly upward. We're continually getting these trials and, and troubles in our life. Uh, have a cup of coffee if you can, and you can stay around and chat for a little bit before you have to leave. Um, there's still some donuts, I believe, left. Help yourself. God bless you, gentlemen. Thank you for being here tonight. You're dismissed.